welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ. He is Steve. And we want to wish you all a very safe and festive Halloween. Today, October 28th, 2021, with this being episode 247. We are going to be getting right into our topic of the day, which is the Dune Movie Review. And I don't know about you, Steve, but uh, I am very interested to hear your thoughts Mm. on this particular film. Before we get started, make sure you offers up some spice to that subscription button. Maybe squish that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm, which drops once a week, every week. And actually, I think it is also fair to say that it is, well, it goes without saying that the spoiler alert has been initiated. We will be going into a deep analysis of the film. Steve dive at a very shallow pool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's like you get halfway through (laughs) the jump and you're like, this is shallow, isn't it? (laughs) There's no net. There's no net. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to hurt a lot. Oh, man. About to paint the pool red, bros. With my booty. (laughs) Steve, what are your high-level thoughts of this particular film? I'm... Well, Russ, I think I'd have to preface preface by saying um, many science fiction movies that I have seen mm. seems like they don't take the source material very seriously. It's like, oh, we're going to make a spaceship flick and, you know, there's going to be explosions and stuff. It's going to be cool. Here's some boxed, uh, you know, sound effects mm-hmm. everyone else has used and, you know, whatever. And it doesn't really seem like I like the Wilhelm scream. Yes. Perfect. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Like, I that, that, that trademark <laughs> scream. Yeah. yeah, I can't do it. Yeah, I was about to like scream. And I'm like, eh, probably not a good idea. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Wake up my daughter. It was like used in Night Trap from Sega oh, CD yeah. a long time oh, ago. Yeah. And it's still used today. You hear it in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, Wil- <laughs> the Wilhelm scream Jeez. lives in infamy. So, uh but I, I want to be in a galaxy far, far away. I want to be transported to these worlds. You know, I, I love living there. I want to be plucked out of Earth and into a new atmosphere, into a new environment, new technologies, new political stuff, new happenings, you know, whatever. That's where I want to be. And it seems like oftentimes they don't really take the source material just, you know, very, very seriously. They did it with Star Wars and look how deep of a following that has till this sure. day. Mm-hmm. And you watch, you can watch Star Wars episode four or five and six. I mean, just it, you're just transported. Everything is right there. They don't they don't take themselves like too seriously, but seriously enough that it you you keep thinking about it and you're drawn into it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that being said, Russ, um, I came into this not knowing Jack squat. So you never saw the 1984 film? No, I never saw the 1984 film. I never saw the TV series. Um, my never read the book. The book is supposed to be like by Frank Herbert. Yep. Ginormous. My knowledge of Dune is from an old friend of mine who played it on the PC and tried to explain it to me at some point. And he's like, oh man, it's awesome. Oh, this game, it's like, oh, you're you're trying to harvest spice. And it's like you're in the desert. 
I'm like, you're growing spice? No, it's like in the desert. I'm like, but nothing grows in the desert. Yeah, I know. It's just a whole atmosphere. And like you fly around and like, it's, it's really cool. I'm like, I don't get what you're saying. It sounds stupid to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I never, you know, and, and there's been games. I mean, since then, I mean, this was probably like, 1997, 98, 99, early 2000s, maybe or something like this was a while ago. Sure, yeah. So there's been iterations since then that has never really caught traction, really. <laughs> and I'm wondering if that's why. Or it could be because like there's so much material to use. Like, what do they do as far as like the 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 money that they're given and actually to produce something and yeah. then get a limited amount of time? It's like, how do you explain this entire story? I have to I have to interrupt you really quick. When you were saying like 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 your like gist of like or you of the amount of what which you understand for some oddball reason I got in my head that you were gonna say the most I know about Dune is when I go to the beach <laughs> and I'm wearing <laughs> Old Spice. <laughs> I don't know why that came into my mind, but I uh, halfway figured that you were gonna say something to that effect. Man. <laughs> I mean, that's close, isn't it? <laughs> There's spice in this? I mean, I'm literally on a sandy dune and I'm wearing <laughs> Old Spice deodorant. Uh, and wearing too many clothes. <laughs> and I'm hot. And I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly the Old Spice is starting to fail. Um, so I know nothing, Ross. Yeah. But it seems like uh, you know some of the the research that I've done. Like this is like some of the the, the dude whose name escapes me, <laughs> who wrote the book, Mister Herbert. Herbert, that's his last name. Had like a, a vision of like this world, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean it is awesome the way he thought of all this stuff because the the environment is created and there's reason for being and there's reason for purpose and there's reason for you know different folks motives and you know like there's different houses kind of vying for the same kind of you know spice and material and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway to me that was um, very very cool and I got drawn into it and I, I, I do want to know more. Um I did think the movie was slow. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I think what they showed us was good in the fact that they're really laying the foundation. I didn't know this was actually only part one. You know, it's part oh, one. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I did not know that until like later on. Where it's, I'm like, man, I'm two thirds of the way through this thing, and like barely any. Like they better like. You know, towards the end, this thing better shape up because this is not, this isn't going nowhere fast. Uh, and so I, I just kind of stumbled on like, oh, it's part one. Well, how many parts are there? Mm -hmm. And I don't even know how many parts there are. But. I think they're planning on just two parts. But having said that, again, it, maybe there's room for more than just two parts. But I think the initial idea was for them just to simply break up the story into two parts. Gotcha. Which... I just found out tonight the the second part is supposed to come out in 2023. Correct. Don't know if it's even funded. I didn't even click no, on it. It is. It's, it's funded. Yep. Oh, cool. Yeah, they, they, well, they just started on it. Yeah, awesome. Yep. So anyway, uh, that being said, um, my wife was, she science fiction is not her bag baby. Uh-huh. And she was um, not having it. But 
I mean, I thought I thought it was really cool. I, I liked like the ship designs. I liked the technology. Uh, I thought all the actors across the board were did a very good job. I mm-hmm. thought it was well scripted. Um, I mean, it did his job, in my opinion, as a science fiction flick to to you know get me out of this world. I don't want to watch a movie, you know, that that's plugging yeah. me back into the world I'm trying to escape. I want out. Sure. Uh, and so this film did that. It just was. Um, I, I didn't. There, I had some some gripes with it, more so with um, like. It seemed like there was so much, like I said before, there's so much information. Like, where do you choose to go with? Because you only have a certain amount of time with this movie. And I think there was a lot more lore that I don't know about that's in the stories. Yeah. They're like, okay, well, I'm I'm confused, but I don't even know what they should have showed. And, and you know, also, or maybe there's going to be a director's cut. But um, I liked what I saw. It, yes, it was slow. Um I just don't know how I really change it. It's kind of like you have to watch the second one to really give the first one, you know, it's due credit. Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, anyway, I'll I'll pause there. What were your high level thoughts? I am pretty aligned with what you have said. I I think that the movie is beautiful. It it is a visually arresting movie. It's one of those types of movies where as you're watching it, you realize, wow, like this film is designed for the big screen. And that's saying something because I watched it from home. I saw it was on HBO Max and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just watch it from here. That's fine. And I enjoyed some of the conveniences of it watching it from home. But at the same time, like, like time and time again, there's all these different scenes where I'm like, this would look amazing on like IMAX or like just even like just a, a properly larger theater screen with the, the surround sound and whatnot. I, I really, really did enjoy that quite a bit. Soundtrack was also uh, very sci-fi, which I enjoyed. And I think that's one of the big things too about the movie overall was that it was very sci-fi. Like, like, yeah. And, and, but it it was abstractly so in certain ways, which I liked. It was one of those things where like, it was more of a feeling of sci-fi as opposed to spoon feeling like this is sci-fi. Do you (laughs) like the flavor? You know, like, So I, I thought that was really, really cool to be able to be immersed in this type of environment. I, I really felt as though these were believable worlds and these different houses and factions were very believable. I did think that it was going to be a bit of a creative challenge going into it because I knew that they had split it into two parts. And it's like, okay, I haven't read the book, but I have seen the 1984 film. You have? When I was a kid. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see it like in, in 1984. I think I probably saw it, I don't know, 1988 or something like that. But I remember at the time, I wasn't really fully understanding of what was going on in the story because it was, well, yeah, it was more marketed toward like, you know, teenagers or adults, that sort of thing. When you're a kid, you're looking at it and you're like, wow, this looks really cool. I have no idea the the social intricacies of all the the politics going on and everything else but i i I don't know i thought i thought it was really cool it was really worth mentioning too i don't know if you saw this but it was directed by uh dennis denny 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 villain he was the director of blade runner 2049 i'm aware and sicario 
Did not know he was the director of Sicario, but he is the director of Arrival, which I did see and actually mentioned on a podcast long, long ago. Yeah. And so watching you know both of those films, of course, uh, I thought like when I saw his name on screen, I thought, okay, this is going to be worth watching. Yeah. I think he's the guy to tackle this one. Very cool. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree after seeing this film and then realizing like what else he was doing uh, with, with these, these other films that I've been a big fan of, you've been a big fan of as well. I do think, though, the movie itself doesn't know what to do with itself in the second part of the film. Like the first part is very methodical. It's very much like here's the exposition, here's the setup, here are the characters that um, we need to know about. And... It had this very purposeful approach, which we'll get to in a moment, just in terms of like these different uh, plot points and that sort of thing. But I feel as though like there comes a point where the movie is trying to figure out how do I get to intermission, basically? You know, how do we get to that curtain call in a way that makes sense? Right. And so I feel like like the, the film itself doesn't necessarily flounder, but like it definitely like you don't get as much of that forward momentum as you do during the first half of the film. So having said that, though, I did write down um, some little noty notes on here. First of all, like you mentioned this earlier, the cast is really impressive. You know, I think the the acting chops um, is something that I think is one of the film's highlights, just like what you were talking about. And I mean, I'm, I wrote down like some of the names on here and it was super cool how like you had Jason Momoa, you had uh, Josh Brolin, uh, David Bautista, uh, Javier Bardem, which I'm a huge fan of from No Country for Old Men. Yeah, he was good. And uh, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, which I don't know if you recognize. So he was the, um, I want to say, what, what was his name? Was it like Baron Vladimir? He he was basically the the bad guy. He was the, yeah, he's like, the he's like the grotesque, just, sinister yeah. He's the blob. dude. He's like the scientist from... Uh, Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. He, in, in the Thor movies, it was really funny when, when they, they cut to that close up. I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I've seen this guy somewhere. Right. <gasps> hey, that's a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he's uh, found himself in some very interesting situations since then. Did you recognize the actor who was, uh, you know, the, 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 the king or the, the, or the governor of the, the land? Uh, are, are, are you talking about Oscar Isaac? Yeah. I think, I think that's his name. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, Nathan in. Did you, ever, did you ever watch Ex Machina? Yes. He's the. He's the. Yeah. He's Nathan. Yeah. I didn't realize. That. I didn't, I'm like I know that guy. Yeah. I've seen him somewhere before. I can't place him. Well, and he he was also in the Star Wars uh, episode seven, eight, and nine. He was. <laughs> yes. Who was he? He was the like the the hot shot X wing pilot. Oh oh he's oh with a temper tantrum. Uh, yeah, I'm trying. Uh, yeah, he's the guy who. Yeah, I. I yeah, it's, it starts with a P, right? Doesn't the name start with a P? Oh man, now you're gonna. It's not Finn. Finn was the other guy. I want to say right. He was Poe. Poe, see? Yeah. <laughs> I had to. I had to brush away the cobwebs <laughs> on that one. Yeah, yeah Poe. Yeah. yeah, Edgar Allen. He's a great actor. <laughs> I, I do like a lot of um, what I've seen him in so far. Um, I'm trying to think of like who else was in there. So there, oh, Rebecca Ferguson. Uh -huh. She was also another great addition. I absolutely loved her acting in the film. 
had like a lot, a lot of mystique to her and, you know, trying to figure out like, like what her affiliation is with those witches and whatnot. You know, I, I thought, I thought she was really cool. I've seen her in other films and, and, uh, Vision Impossible. Yes, mm. absolutely. Don't make me go through you. As she says to Tom Cruise. <laughs> what if I do? <laughs> those Mission Impossible <laughs> movies are fantastic. I love those yeah. movies. Anyway, really high caliber cast of uh, different folks on here. I got to say, um, so Zendaya, she was kind of like this, this uh, love interest, right? The, the, we we didn't, really didn't get to like the love interest part of the movie itself, but the main protagonist is having dreams about this girl and he eventually meets her towards the end, but there's really not enough time to get to know like right. wh- who right. this character is and that sort of thing. There's no real time for her. Hey, what's up? How you got, you doing? You got blue eyes? Oh, everyone here's got blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because the spice is orange. I have some Claritin if you need it. <laughs> Emperor level Claritin. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I have with her as an actor is... What's um, She's... Again, I've only seen her in the Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland because she plays Mary Jane. You know, um, yeah. And then I see her in this film, and I don't, I'm not seeing a wide spectrum of acting between those two films. I I understand that she's made some other films, but I just I have not seen them myself. I but saw she, her in some movie where she was dancing around. I was like, I want to say Zach Efron was in it. I have oh, no idea. Uh, but I was like, oh, it's a Spider Man chick again. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Um, okay, so I'll ask you this. Since okay. you saw her in that film, uh-huh. did she exude a different um, part of her acting ability in that film versus Spider-Man or Dune? Yeah, I would say, well, I would say she acted more like she did in Dune um, in random movie X that I can't remember the name of uh, <laughs> that she was singing and dancing in. Um, so, but yeah, she was acting basically more mature. Um but I mean, in Spider-Man, she's trying to act like a teenager and she's being spunky and she's being, you know, kind of quick witted and whatever. But was she really spunky though? Like, like I remember her being kind of like, she had that perma scowl on her face most of the time. Like I, I remember actually talking to you when we were reviewing the film. That was the, the first one, but she has like a very dry humor. She has dry humor. And I, I remember like at the end of, of the Spider-Man film, how she's swinging with Peter Parker and it was at that moment, the way she was like squealing and that sort of thing. I'm like, Oh yeah, here we go. That is Mary Jane right there. That's, that's very much more like it, but it just seems as though um, her go-to is a lot of that kind of like, she's just, she's just kind of doing that, that kind of unimpressed perma scowl kind of thing. And then, and then if, if like the other character does something that is pretty impressive, then she'll, kind of uh, grudgingly admit that like, okay, that was pretty cool. All right. Well, I guess you're okay. It's like, I don't know. Like for me, I don't know. If it sounds like, like, like maybe you didn't pick up on that as much as I did. But like, for me, it was one of those things where like, I'm, I, I'm, I found myself just thinking about it as I'm watching her on screen. I'm thinking this is, there's not like a, like a huge departure here. Yeah, I can, I can grant you that. Um, I don't think I picked on, on, on it too much because she doesn't say really anything in this movie, or at least, you know, towards the end, maybe like the last 10 minutes, she'll, yeah. she has a few lines, but otherwise you just see her kind of walking along 
looking back, you know, walking forward, close up of her eyes, you know, and then it, and that's really it. Um, so it's kind of hard to like pluck her out of this movie. Like she just she had the same you know ten seconds in this movie that she you know, but from what we did see, I mean, yeah, I mean you're you're kind of right. I mean she's kind of kind of boxed in that that expression in a way, but what are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. Moving over to plot though, so. At its core, this movie actually has a pretty simple plot. Like, you basically have this noble family that's entrusted to go to this planet and continue mining for this extremely valuable asset that they nicknamed the Spice, right? right. That all these other planets know and, and really are high-value commodity. Yeah. Exactly, high-value asset. And so we kind of see, like, what happens as that whole thing pans out. And that's really all there is. Yeah. And it's interesting because the film, I feel like, does a really nice job of establishing the the, the entire universe or world that, that the, the story exists in as this vast, massive place, which is interesting because the plot is very simple. If right. you think, if you break it all the way down to what it is, it's literally like, oh, the emperor, uh, who we... Uh, to, to my knowledge, we have not seen yet. Right. Uh, the emperor decrees that that this particular house is going to go to the planet and mine the spice, and he's kicking this other house out, which that other house is feeling rather butthurt about the whole situation. And that's it. And it's like, like you know, obviously there's more to it in terms of like, you know, there, there's some sort of big battle that takes place in part two and that sort of thing. But I found it interesting seeing the kind of the contrast between those two things about how successful they were in presenting to us this world that we all got very, I mean, I don't know about you. I got very immersed in, I was like, wow, this is, this is visually arresting. It's, it's super cool. But, um, the other thing, are we going to say something? I was just going to say, I think they left out, that was one of the areas where I think they left out a, a bit of information because we're kind of thrust into it. I mean, yeah, they explained the plot, Plot's easy to understand, but I would have liked just like a little bit, like even just a couple of minutes or 30 seconds of what the spice is used for. I know it's like used for, you know, hyper space travel. They don't yeah. have, they didn't say anything about light speed really. Like they didn't have it yet, but it was used clearly for, it's used for a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, but even with, uh, even with the families, like, okay, there's the emperor, there's, I'm thinking it's Atreus. <laughs> it's very close. <laughs> but um, you have the houses and it's like, Atreides, okay. Atreides, I think Atreides. is what it's called. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. I, I was um, thinking about God of War, actually. When I was I'm like, what? <laughs> um, and an axe flies out from nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> the, the multiverse. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this multiverse thing is getting out of hand. <laughs> so um, anyway. I would have liked a little bit more backstory in that regard, just to know who all the characters are. Cause they keep on talking about the emperor that we have no clue who he is or that was one of the things that, that I found myself kind of, well, okay. So I go back and forth because it is fun to have certain characters that you haven't seen yet. You only hear about because then it helps to build up their legend and their notoriety. And apparently they're so high up on the food chain, you know, <laughs> it's nice to not necessarily know, all the players yet, you know, just to know it by name. But at the same time, it's like, man, this emperor dude likes to stir the pot. Yeah. Like this is someone who's just like, you know, he could have kept those other people who were very happy to be there because obviously they were getting rich and powerful based off of like the kickbacks they were getting from mining all this spice. But then the emperor, for whatever reason, just 
kicks them out, brings this other house in. I don't know if that's to try and maintain. Well, okay, now I'm talking about it. It would make perfect sense because the emperor was probably getting concerned about how much wealth and power and influence um, this other house was gaining. So he, therefore he wanted to move them out before they got too powerful and move another house in and, you know, kind of continue on from there. Makes sense. Does indeed, you know. And then I, what was his face? Uh, your your guy, your actor guy, he walks in the in the council there and spits. Uh, he was like, "No, you're the last <laughs> people who were here left and didn't leave us anything. And like right. this is our homeland. You guys are coming to our planet where we live, and we are making you know a life for ourselves. You're taking all of our resources, and you're leaving. And you're not doing giving us anything. Yeah, um, which is a very logical, you know, that's logical argument. Yeah, you want peace? Well, you're robbing us of everything that that you know we of our, of our livelihood. So. Um, you know, how can we strike a deal here? Um, well, and, and I think that was part of the reveal, right? Like when this particular house or clan came in with the idea that they, they would continue mining the spice, they didn't really understand the politics of the planet. You know, they, they came in with a general knowledge of how this stuff was. But if you, if you consider like how they were having to like take a tour and figure out, okay, right. so how does this work exactly? And what is our security protocol? And, oh, there is this entire um, species or race of, of humanoids that live here. How do they play into this whole thing? And so even with that scene that you were referring to, I think that they were wanting to be able to find out more information about this uh, race of people that is here and how exactly can they coexist so that way they can get their job done of mining the spice, but then also be able to, to respect the, the, the race or species of people that, that live there, which is cool because it's not like they're all knowing all powerful and plus it plunges us more into bonding with that particular house because we don't know what to expect. You know, we're going into it for the first time just as they are. So I think I think that that's that's pretty cool. And again, it plays into one once more about that how they were very successful in revealing what needed to be revealed, but shrouding other things as well. And I just found myself really appreciating that for just just from a sci-fi point of view. I thought that that there was a lot of meat and potatoes without it being you know, dialogue specific or acting specific or whatever. Like it was just very much like, here's this ecosystem that we're presenting to you. And considering the fact that we only really see maybe like three different planets, right. Uh, is, is pretty impressive overall. One of the points I did want to talk to you about was that I was watching the movie and, um, the houses being at odds with each other reminded me of a few other films it gave me, well, or, or TV shows or whatever. It gave me a bit of a Romeo and Juliet kind of vibe in terms of like these houses, these warring houses back and forth of, of for whatever reason, like for instance, like you have uh, the Atreides where, where you have the, the son and he's the protagonist and you, you can tell that he's having dreams about this girl who's part of this other house of, of or I don't even know if they're even like recognized as being a house but more so of, of this like, you know, tribe. race of, of humanoids from this planet or whatever. <laughs> and who knows if like, there's any kind of like conflict between royalty versus the peasants, you know, that sort of thing. And then, um, 
another part of it too is is it kind of gave me a Game of Thrones vibe too, where again you have these various houses, like you know you have the Vladimir guy, the the blob who has his own house, and then you have like the those weird elite guard guys that were like, you know, they were sacrificing all those hapless souls and like putting little blood on their forehead. Here you go. You're a soldier now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like there, there was quite a bit of that going on. And then I also wrote down about how I don't think you saw, did you see the movie Macbeth or not? I not. told, I talked to you about it, yeah. but the, the whole like witches angle was very Macbeth. If you ever end up um, watching that particular film, uh, there are these witches that help kind of cast this omen that uh, affects the the main character. And there's a lot of a lot of parallels. I'm just going to leave it at that in terms of, of uh, those films. So, yeah, it was interesting. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Or maybe it was used as like, you know, subconscious reference or inspiration. But I didn't find myself kind of all of a sudden, like thinking of those different types of stories as I'm watching this, I'm like, it's kind of a smorgasbord of these different things. Uh, did you have any comments about that? Um, I, I, well, what I was going to say is, uh, the witches are another thing. We're like, you know, the Reverend mother, I'm like, okay, where'd she come from? You know, and she has some sort of relationship with the kid's mom. Right. And the kid's mom, it, I, I, in the beginning of the movie, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's the queen right there. And it turns out she's not the queen. She's a concubine. Am I just trying to... Concubine! Put, put all the pieces together. and Okay, cool, I guess. But just leaving a little bit to the man. Leaving a little bit too much. <laughs> the imagination, maybe. I think what the film does is it does a really nice job of presenting situational awareness to like just, just what is happening. And I think that's what we get drawn into because you're right. Like when it comes to the various details, we aren't really given a lot of, of drill down details or huge backstories into um, these, these different families, right. Or these different clans or houses or whatever. We know they exist from a high level peripheral perspective. Right. Uh, but in terms of, of what they, what they do is, is they, they, they give, they give us the situational awareness of what's going on, but then they like, their like, like microscopic focus then goes into the situation of the whole, mining of the spice and the different types of conflict that that ensues, right? Like that, that's basically it. And I think that that's, what's interesting about um, the movie itself is that the movie is a bit of a slow burn as you go through it, but I think it's intentionally so. And I think it, it works. I like, I didn't find myself really like looking at my watch or, or like, you know, thinking, Oh, this is a waste of my time or anything like that. I actually enjoyed how they did spend an appropriate amount of time. Um, even with, with each one, like, like even with that, that main like witch mother or whatever, like we got just enough time and exposure to her that we realized, you know, at least, from a, um, an introductory level of like who she is, where she hails from, what are some of her motives, uh, and so forth. Yeah. Political agendas. Yeah. On, on her own there. Yeah. I, I, I would say that, yeah, it's just enough, but it, and yes, the movie by and large was supposed to be slow because of the source material, because there's so much to say, it has to be slow. I, I just think it's kind of like its own 
it's like a, it's a, it's a double edged sword. It's own its own worst enemy in a, in a way because yes, it I think this was intentional and this is how kind of it's supposed to be. Mm. However, uh, if you're not into the story, then you're just going to be bored and lost. There's not a lot that transpires in this part one. I right. think I think that's what's interesting is that we're playing catch up, especially like if you haven't read the book or if you haven't seen the 1984 movie or the miniseries. Like if you're if you're coming in as a complete newbie, you're playing catch up to all these different folks, right. and, he, and even their fancy names that they have are, are kind of hard to remember and, and figure out. Once again, kind of like that Game of Thrones kind of thing, where you're like so and so is connected here, had a history with so and so over there. Like like there there is a bit of that, but then when you think about it, it's like the house. That gets picked, Atreus, or Atreus. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. They get picked to go down to mine the spice. So then they move to this planet. Yeah. They get caught up as to like how they mine the spice. Something goes wrong. They get betrayed. Uh, their other house attacks them, basically decimates that house. There's betrayal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then you're, you know, at the end of part one, it's like, we're left wondering, you know, what is to become of the the main character and his mom, basically. Right. That's that's not a lot. Like if you compare that to other movies, like there's a whole lot that that can happen in other films that this film just really takes its time immersing us once again into these types of worlds, which again are more I found to be more believable in terms of, of, of like this exploration of, of a fictional sci-fi world. Yeah. I, I, I could pick up, I can, I, yeah. Uh, but again, um, golly. See, here, here's the thing, like in Lord of the Rings, oh. Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. There are a lot of different, you know, kingdoms and, and, sure. and territories and random names that you would never hear anywhere else besides Lord of the Rings. And the movie's three hours long, but they they pace it in enough way where you have character building and you have character development and they give you the story and then they give you maybe some laughs and some actions. So you're like, oh, this is, yo, know, get my blood pressure going. And then they'll settle it down. Sure. Give you a little bit of break. And so, but that, that helps to pace the movie for mm-hmm. that three hours and, yeah. you, and you still want more at the end. And and I know this is not Lord of the Rings, but I just feel like there's not enough necessarily to keep uh, me wanting to dive deeper. I guess like I, I don't even know if I would want to at this point, sort of thing, um, because there's not enough to hold my attention. Like I'm I'm really looking for something in the first hour, and then it was just really a lot of talking, and then I'm really looking for something in the second hour, and little things happen here and there, and then I think well. You know, the whole betrayal thing with the doctor. And I mean, you, we clearly saw he had some relationship with the kid. Sure. You know, he, some, some trusting relationship. And then we didn't see anything about, about the doctor's wife or about his history at all. But it was just kind of a convenient little thing to put him in there to say, oh, my wife is really sick. And, you know, yeah, you, you know the bad guy, big, fat, bald, <laughs> ugly looking dude uh, is going to, you know, slice and dice my wife. And so I have to betray you. And I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of convenient. I guess I'll throw him in there in the mix. And I do think that part of that has to do with the fact that they intentionally split up the story into two parts. I think if they decided that they were going to just have one movie, then things would have moved along. We would have seen more stuff go on. But I, I really do think that 
it is a, it's, it's a bit of a realignment for the viewer. Like if you go into the movie knowing this is part one of two, and it's not even like like Star Wars. Like for instance, like you watch A New Hope, that is a movie unto itself. Like that movie can stand on its own. It's, it has no dependency on Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. You can watch those films, and those films are also more or less a film that can stand on its own two feet. Even though they're you know increasingly so, there are things that those sequels rely on you know going in reverse. But I think in this particular film, it's literally like think think of it as if you were going to like a a, a live play, like you're you're going to uh, Broadway or whatever, right? And you are sitting in, in the audience, and and uh, there is literally a curtain that goes down, and we will now have intermission for fifteen minutes. If you need <laughs> to have a bathroom break or uh, get something to eat or drink, you can do so. But make sure you get back to your seats in fifteen minutes. That's literally what it is. And then in twenty twenty three, that's when all of a sudden the curtain will go back up, and then we resume where we left off. It's it's so I think for me anyway, that helps to to kind of just calibrate my brain in such a way, thinking like, okay, it's not going to be. Uh, you know, a matter of, of it being a sequel. It's not a sequel. It's, it's literally continuing on. And so when this movie comes out on, you know, your, your ultra DVD, ultra <laughs> HD or whatever, as well as like, if you watch it um, like on, uh, on in, in digital format, you're going to be able to watch both parts, which is, which is going to make sense because you're probably looking at a six hour long story. So you're probably going to want to, have a bathroom break or intermission uh, in between those two. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, man, thinking of thinking of a bathroom break and intermission. You know, th- this you mentioned earlier. I uh, was seeing this movie in the theater, and I am almost under the impression, Russ, that this should have been released as a two parter. Not not as like one part, two part. I, I, that was a little confusing. I should have said that better. <laughs> I, what I meant was like, okay, we're gonna release the movie. Not simultaneously with uh, streaming as well as theater. I think like this one should have been a theater only. Should have been a theater only, and then kind of within like the, like the next like couple weeks or something, or maybe you know three weeks, then put it on HBO Max. Because like now that I've seen it, I don't know if I really want to go see it in the theater. But I think if the hype was there, like man, you gotta go see. Don't wait for this thing to go stream. You have to see in the theaters or they, I think it would have driven a lot more people to the theater. And I think they probably would have made more money with it, perhaps. I, you know, honestly, if you want to go see it in the theater, I would be down to go see it. Because I, I really do believe this is the kind of experience to be had in that location as opposed yeah. to being at home. But like, I, I don't think, especially after I've seen it, like, it's a good movie. I, I really enjoyed it. It's It's one of those types of films where I think I would almost appreciate the visuals more so just having that huge canvas just just to take in and drink in all the the visuals but i made a list of memorable scenes from the movie as we are talking about uh, enjoying the film itself Mm. what did you think of that one particular scene where the witch was having the the protagonist put his hand in that box she had her her uh, you know her little hand with the the poison dart right next to his neck yeah I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I thought, ooh, something's going to happen now. <laughs> Get the popcorn. Yeah, baby. yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Okay, it's getting good. Uh, <laughs> <The> <laughs> conniving old bat. What's she up to? Yeah. <laughs> 
that kid's neck's made of leather. He ain't gonna get pierced. I kept thinking like like we would see something come out of the box. Like it, it was it, definitely the way they approached that that scene. I was totally like, what's in the box? Come on. <laughs> you know, like I, I didn't know if like we were going to see blood dripping out or if he's going to lose a finger or who knows what, but what, what, what were you thinking I, about? I was figuring it was going to be all like mental or uh, magical. Cerebral. Cerebral. I didn't think they were going to maim the kid uh, this early on. And I don't remember. Didn't see, I didn't see like, him having <laughs> bandages or something on his hands, like in the trailer. I didn't see any you know? missing appendages in the trailer. Um, I mean, I just really didn't think they were going to do it. I saw. So I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, I figured it'd be pain because she's dressed all in black and she's sitting there all by herself, looking menacing. You know, she ain't going to yeah. give the kid like a nice hug, like hug it out. Come on, yeah, you're yeah. here by yourself. So I figured it'd be like, you know, he's yeah, he's feeling. I knew it was going to be painful, <laughs> but I figured it'd just be like. Like he would, he would know it all in his head. She definitely looked like she was um, indefinitely at a funeral. You know, yeah, dressed yeah, gets for off at uh, funerals. You know, I, I don't picks know. up guys. Yeah, likes the gothic scene. The costume design in that film was really good. All the yeah, all the costumes were awesome. Yeah. Were, what do you think of the of the uh, like the the tech, like the ships and and I liked uh, them. I thought they were really cool. I I don't know if I'm looking too into it, but I mean, like the whole like dragonfly thing with oh like, yeah. Um, I thought well, it kind of makes sense being in that environment because like you can't have a whole lot of exposed moving parts with all like these sand storms oh, and sure. stuff. All yeah. the sand gets in the gears, and I mean, I'm not a mechanical engineer, but I could see that happening. And so they need some sort of ship to get there quick. And, you know, of course in the air, mm-hmm. uh, that's not going to have all these exposed moving parts. That's they're going to have to fly. And, you know, so it's basically their helicopter, um, a lot quieter than a helicopter though. They were, they didn't have like, you know, had to have these you know earmuffs on or anything sure, to communicate. Yeah. I, I thought it was really, I thought those were cool. Yeah. Actually, that was one of the, the points that I made um, that I put in my list here for um, the just memorable scenes was I really liked that entire spice tour sequence <laughs> just because we got to <laughs> what you were spice tour comes from Russ. Did you? The Spice Girls oh. on Spice don't, Tour. Don't, don't taint this episode, Steve. Don't taint this episode. <laughs> oh, man. When you think about, though, that particular sequence, it was really cool because we got introduced to a lot of different vehicles, and I think that also played into the authenticity of the sci-fi side of things. So, like... To your point, like those those type of dragonfly helicopter vehicles, I thought were super cool. Yeah. And when they were taking off, it wasn't just like, you know, they can take off. Like you saw like some of the the functionality of, of like how each one of those individual wings worked. And even like like later on when, when they got caught in that sandstorm, you got to see a bit more of um, just how that machine can be manipulated and work, that sort of thing. Same kind of thing. Like when we got to the, the spice mining vehicle, I thought that was really cool. That was really cool. Also. Yeah. I liked that, that weird contraption that like would come down and basically like attach itself to the spice mining airlift it with those huge, like, you know, balloons. Yeah. So cool. Like the way those balloons jettisoned out and stuff. Again, the film took 
the appropriate amount of time to let us drink in that immersive sci-fi ecosystem. And those were the things that I appreciated as uh, a moviegoer. It sounds like you did too. I did. Um, when it came to just all those, those, or like those little probes where like they could see this, like the, the sandworm coming. Yeah. And so like they were, they had someone going over there and checking out and seeing where that was in relation to like what they're having to do over here. Like to me, that was really, really cool because it wasn't a one dimensional experience. Like, like if you were to think of like starship troopers, which I like, I like the, the film starship troopers, but it's very different. It's not in the same type of approach as what Dune is, that is clearly like an action shooter set in a sci-fi universe. But I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, it's cool to see your face light up, though, as I'm describing this, because yeah. I, I actually didn't know if that was something that you would appreciate. Oh, come on. I'm always mentioning, like, the the, the spaceships in any kind of sci-fi movie we're watching. That's like one of my biggest criticisms with the latest Star Wars is like, there's like no imagination and the ships now like any Lucas written or designed like Star Wars <laughs> and, and spaceships and stuff. They look awesome. Mm-hmm. And now like all the, the creativity is gone. It's like, yeah, we're going to float around in a box with rockets, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh gosh, galaxy far, far away isn't so exciting. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, no, I loved all of it. I um, it, oh, and that there's that scene where uh, your boy Jason Mimosa mm-hmm. is uh, as like he's he's flying, trying to escape, and like those he had to tuck the wings in to make some. Oh, yeah. that was freaking amazing. Well, and also too, you could feel his personality as he flew that, even though you didn't see him in the cockpit from, for basically all of that, just the violent way that that ship was like, you know, diving down and then kind of, you know, doing like, like a 360 or 180 swoosh and like how it, there was kind of like this overcompensation and he was having to move forward. Like you really felt what the character was feeling in, in terms of that emotionality coming through about being betrayed and realizing right. that, that his people were being slaughtered. And, but also too, it has that, <laughs> it has that like party boy mentality that Jason Momoa is known for. Like you can almost hear him go, he's like, <laughs> yeah, around. I mean, maybe, but I mean, he was different. In this movie, like as, as opposed, I mean, he for once he shaved his beard, so yeah. he looked different. He, he like looks the same in every movie, except for this one. Like he he shaved it off, and he, I was like, "Thank you, finally, you look." It was striking, wasn't different. it? Yeah, he yeah. looked great, um, and he was a bit happier. And this one, he's usually like the the gruff, Mister Big Buff, rough and stuff. Yeah. Don't mess with being our throw an axe between your eyes kind of guy. And he wasn't that dude. And this one, I didn't he feel was like. more collected in this one. I feel like, like, right. like, like you, you had murmurs or hints of it here and there. Like the whole, like, huh, huh, working out. Yeah. Uh, Want some muscle? Not, not yet. I know you should. So whatever he said. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that was trademark. Yeah. Momoa, uh, but no, I, I agree. I, I really enjoyed um, some of the thoughtfulness that, that was placed in there. I also have, so Baron Vladimir, who we've mentioned already Hmm. um every time that there was a scene with him i thought i mean i was totally like okay what's gonna happen (laughs) well what's you well what what are we seeing like what's going what's what is this this dude gonna do because he was so sinister uh i mean i just i loved how um 
like he couldn't walk on his own. Like he had that apparatus that was attached to his spine or something. And it, it like, like it basically just kind of like, r- like raised him up from his chair. And he's like, kind of like, just like his whole body is just a sloth blob like thing. And, was and like, he was floating somehow though. That, that it was, it was that apparatus. He had that like sci-fi thing that was like grafted onto his spine or something. Right. And somehow that allowed him to levitate. It would like, it would mm. basically pull him out of his chair chair and then just kind of lurch him forward like this it was just like, <laughs> ever so slowly yeah like, he's just like <laughs> <laughs> i read actually that in the story he actually used to be very good looking mm. and there was something i can't remember off the top of my head something happened and so it, it left him that way uh but in a weird way though, I, I do think it's probably kind of a visual metaphor for also just like how his character is in terms of like his ultimate motivations and him not being a good person. Right. <laughs> but anyway, like just seeing those different sequences, I was like, golly dude, like there, you could really like feel the evil uh, right. kind of evoked out of, out of those different scenes. The, um, other thing I had listed was the attack on House Atreides on the Spice Planet. That was um, I, I really got a pit in my stomach when I saw that. I mean, you knew it was going to happen. Like it, it was just a question of when were they going to like unleash this whole thing. But in terms of seeing how it went down and just all the betrayals, like with the Doctor and uh, I don't know, like like you really. I don't know. You, you kind of have this ill feeling. In your stomach. Yeah. Um, well, it's because everyone's dead, Russ. Well, they weren't yet. I know, but I mean, like... You I have know a question you, for you, by the way. Pregunta, por favor. I'll stop. Josh Brolin's character. Did, did we see him get killed? We Like, the last thing I remember him in the movie, like, he was... It's like, follow me! Yeah, they were, ah. like, charging toward the ships, but then the ships got blown up. Right. Did he get taken prisoner, or did they kill him? Like, I, I don't recall. I don't recall either. I mean, he, we didn't see him die. And in Hollywood, if they don't see anybody die, that must mean they are still alive. Mm-hmm. Especially as a you know, character as big as um, Brolin. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think they would probably off him pretty gruesomely since yes. he was well-known, liked. I'll have to, it just gives me another reason to rewatch it. There you go, Russ. The other uh, scene that I had on my list was the the whole spitting scene. Like you had uh, oh, Stigar yeah. come in and uh, spit on the table, and you know the the first impression is like, oh, he's being disrespectful. When in fact, it's the exact opposite. Like because water is such a, a rarity, any kind of fluid is a rarity on that planet. That for him to actually sacrifice that spit from his body to the table shows that like he means this with the utmost respect and that he values this meeting. I really enjoyed how that played out. Well, it, I mean, it wasn't just like that scene though. I, I, I feel like a lot of the script and everyone's lines were believable and they were mature. Yeah. Like the whole thing wasn't uh, like a stereotypical father role or government role or, uh, you know, advisor role. I, I, a lot of the characters, the way they were written, the lines they had and how they reacted to me was very believable. If I was there, like if this was real, I would expect pretty much everything to happen uh, the way it happened or, 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 or uh, the dialogue between 
Uh, that you're the father, the son, um, his advisors. Um, I mean, even I mean that guy, your boy, um, whatever his face is, uh, Stalgard, Stal, Stal, Stalgrid. What is his face? The Ooh. dude with the blue eyes, who came in. The, the spitting guy. Come on, run! You just mentioned the I blue didn't. guy. The, the, the blue eyed dude who came into the, the council room and spat. <laughs> what is his name? Uh, oh, are you talking about like his actual name or the character name? The character name, right? I think it's okay. Whatever, cigar. So, cigar. Uh, yeah, cigar. No, it's not cigar. Cuban. <laughs> I think. I think. I think it's cigar. S t i g a r. Okay. I may be pronouncing it wrong, but anyway. But but the actor's name is Javier. Javier, right? Javier. Javier Bardem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. So, I mean, he doesn't have Maybe any- Stegar. Maybe that's how they pronounce it. I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, Steve. <clears throat> anyway, um, so like he doesn't have anything to prove. He's going there and being like, you know, you're here. You're kind of at my mercy in a way because you guys are, you have no way to survive here. We've survived here our entire lives. It, you know, if one, one slip up from you or one slip up, like intentional slip up, we, if, if we make you slip and you're out, basically- and so the lines he was he was telling everybody in the room, how everybody in the room wanted to react and try to understand him, the visions that the the boy saw and what he was telling him in return, and then his response to the boy, like everything was just believable. It wasn't like yeah. they were trying to, like naturally believable. It wasn't like they were trying to like force us into believing something. It was like we were a spectator sitting in the room as if we were witnessing this natural conversation happen and the lines were just completely legit yeah. throughout the whole thing. I mean, even with that conversation in towards the beginning after, um, the, the boy, <laughs> the names are hard. I'm going to say like, like they are not easy to remember. <laughs> I, I, I don't fault you for that. So, uh, Momoa has the, you know, the, the run in with it. With, I think with the kid, I think I want to say Momoa's character's name is Duncan. Duncan. Yeah. Okay. The one, the one easy name. <laughs> What's the one easy name? Don't remember. Hey, awesome. at, at least I remembered that one. <laughs> What's his name? Fred. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, you know, the, he runs into Duncan. They have this thing. He's like, you know, telling him about, you know, the, the planet he's been to and the kid wants to go fly and he wants to be an exciting life. Yeah. He doesn't want to be uh, someone of royalty. He doesn't want to command. He just wants or to be like- Or maybe he likes the royalty thing, but he just wants to be proactive. He, he well, wants to contribute. He, he wants or to- Or participate. I would think, I, he seemed like he wanted more action. Like he wanted to be the pilot. It's cool to be the pilot. You get to fly all these ships, you know? But I don't think he was after glory. I, I don't think it was that. I think but, he he felt like kind of self conscious about being royalty. I don't think that he didn't want to necessarily be royalty. But I think he wasn't comfortable just being royalty and, and like having all the the benefits of that. I think he wanted to be involved somehow, some way. Anyway, what I'm saying is what, you're like, just missing what I'm saying. I, yeah, there? I'm trying to finish my thought before it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, what happens when you hit 40. We both know. So anyway, the dialogue between dad and son uh -huh. is like, not this, no, you won't follow in my footsteps because I command it and you're my kid. 
sort of thing. The dad levels with the kid. Like I was your age once. I know exactly what you're thinking. And let me tell you what you're thinking. The kid agrees. And he says, okay, this is why I like that scene too. Exactly. It's like, this is why you have to kind of change what you're thinking. It's almost like this, the, like a scene from gladiator between Maximus and and Caesar, right? He's like, I'm handing you the keys to the empire. And Maximus like, I don't want it. He's like, that's why you got to have it because the power hungry people are going to corrupt this scene. You need this. You know, that's what it reminded me of. And I thought it was, man, I, there were a lot of sequences with the dialogue. I mean, there's quite a bit. There were mature sequences. Like, like that sequence could have easily turned into like, the father like screaming at his son and like, <laughs> you will do as I say, you insolent whelp. You know, but instead, you have hit that microphone, I think three times in this one particular episode, Steve. I'm excited. Oh my goodness. Anyway, let us go into movie trivia courtesy of IMDb. I did pluck out some nuggets out of this. Composer Hans Zimmer is a big fan of the novel Dune Mm. and turned down working with frequent collaborator Christopher Nolan on Tenet from 2020 to score this film, which makes a ton of sense because if you recall, we were uh, reviewing the movie Tenet and that was one of the things that I was surprised about was how Hans Zimmer was not a part of it because he's pretty much worked with Christopher Nolan on all his other big movies. So it makes sense now. The Sting was considered for a cameo, small role in the film, after he starred as, oh my goodness, it's another one of these names, Fade Rotha in David Lynch's Dune of 1984. The character ended up omitting, uh, or excuse me, ended up being omitted from the 2021 adaption. So, you know, no, no soup for Mr. Sting in this particular iteration, but I think it would have been fun to have seen him in there. Yeah. Sting would have created another good song. Yeah. Walked in fields of barley. <laughs> fight coordinator uh, Roger Juan uh, based the uh, the fighting style of House of Atreides on Filipino martial arts. What? To make House uh, Harkonnen seem barbaric, he based their fighting style on an ancient Mongolian fighting styles. Uh, according to one, the, uh, the, oh my goodness, Sardukar in this adaptation are inspired by two different warrior cultures, a samurai of feudal Japan and, oh my goodness, how do I even say this? And the Olfeno, I'm, I'm totally butchering this. This is a hard one. The Olfeonor guard of the Norwegian, basically it's, it's Norwegian. That's why I'm having such a hard time uh, of the Norwegian King, uh, Harold uh, Fairhair. The, no. oh. the samurai influence being the Sardukar's fighting style and that they are also an elite military uh, caste, C-A-S-T-E. Cast? Something. My ability to read uh, is being challenged in a very man. healthy way here. Oh my gosh. While the Norwegian influence uh, is the Sardukar uh, as a fanatical warrior cult practicing blood sacrifice and blood anointment before battle. I thought that was actually really cool because I'm always curious, okay, are, are these different fighting sequences, are they completely made up and choreographed or are they based off of real world martial arts? And more often than not, I'm finding that they are heavily influenced, if not completely 100% a, a particular martial art. Pretty much. You know, like John Wick or Batman Begins, whatever. Well, it's just easier to 
Use what you already know, Russ. Mm, yeah. Indeed, Steve. Indeed. At one point, Peter Jackson expressed interest in directing a new film adaptation of Dune. Oh. That would have made you very excited, it Steve. It would have. Javier Bardem is now the third Bond villain actor to play the character of uh, Stilgar in a Dune adaptation, having appeared in Skyfall of 2012. He follows Octopussy of 1983's <laughs> Stephen Burkhoff in Children of Dune of 2003 and License to Kill 1989, uh, Everett McGill in Dune of 1984. Max von Sydow, who played Liet Kynes in Dune, also played a Bond villain, uh, Biofeld, in the unofficial Bond movie Never Say Never Again in 1983. Yeah, interesting how there is a uh, quite a bit of that Bond, multiverse Dune person. <laughs> yeah, Bond villain and Dune. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's even more of this. Oh man, uh, Baron Harkonnen calls Duke Leto cousin. Oh, remember that scene? Remember when the, the Vladimir is just like God, you cousin? Remember like he refers to uh, Oscar Isaac's character as cousin when he's when, yes. Remember when he's paralyzed? He's all yeah. naked. Why uh, they didn't make him naked? Well, he's royalty. They're trying to embarrass him. They're they're yeah they're mm. they're humiliating him in front of um, the other house. It's a very humiliating thing to do. Is like we're going to strip you naked and you can't do nothing about it. What if he was like just really well endowed and be like, yeah, strip me <laughs> naked. Now what? Huh? All, like, Whoa, where? all the other houses subjects are like, oh my, <laughs> we can't kill him. Put yeah. the clothes back on <laughs> him. I'm on feeling him. very self-conscious. <laughs> I'm humiliated. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling under-equipped all of a sudden. Anyway, back to the trivia. And um, <laughs> moving on. Anyway, he he says he calls him cousin, implying that they are family in the expanded universe of Dune as part of the Ben uh, Gesserit plan to beget the Quisiats. These what names. you're saying? Basically, the Reverend Mother requested a child from Baron Vladimir. He brutally raped her and impregnated her with Lady Jessica, who is the wife. Uh, who later became Paul um, Atreides' mother, making Paul the Baron's grandson. Furthermore, after the rape, he, or excuse me, after the rape, the Reverend Mother infected the Baron with a disease that caused his extreme obesity. Due to this, the Baron can no longer walk Hmm. and has to resort to floating devices. Okay, so that explains a lot. That would have. Oh, now it's my turn to hit a mic. It's infectious. Man, that would have, well, I mean, I don't want to see, I mean, that could have been something that was told to us, like maybe some dialogue in the beginning or, uh, you know, stuff we had to read maybe, but. Well, that, I don't that's, wanna, that's what this is saying was like, if you look at, if you read the expanded universe of Dune, that is explained. Right. But I mean, that's kind of important. Yeah, I mean, I don't want. I don't want to see. Like, I don't want to see the thing happen I had on no screen. Idea that I would reach that. I was like, "Wow, <laughs> you're sucking on a helium balloon before the show, or what?" Soprano over here, all <laughs> like, of a sudden. Man, my Russ. goodness, Woo. Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> Somebody pinched my nuts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I thought it was cool because it. I don't know. It spurs me on to want to read more of the novels, look into the expanded universe. Mm. When you get to have some of those little nuggets of uh, 
interest, you know, explain. Right. This because you know that everybody who watches this movie, they're like, well, why can't he walk? Why is he gross and obese? <laughs> why is he gross? Yeah. <laughs> I really am trying not to body shame him, but he seems deserving I of it. I can't help but stare a little bit. <laughs> when the huge sandworm turns to Paul near the end of the movie, its circle of teeth resembles an iris making the mouth look like an eye staring intensely at him. I didn't actually pick up on that. Uh, you know, that sequence where they were uh, kind of a, at dusk and he was running toward the rocks toward the end and that huge worm was coming toward him. Yes. The worm emerges and like looks at him like this, like well, it doesn't look, but like his mouth is open. Yeah. Like you're screwed. And, it, and the worm has those teeth that are kind of, it reminds me almost of like whale, like how a whale has those uh, bristles. Yeah, like or, a bristles to get all like the shrimp All the plankton and stuff. And stuff. All the plankton, yeah. But I'll have to watch it again. But but apparently according to this, like they, they had the teeth kind of align and position themselves in such a way that it, well, it resembles like an eyeball or an iris kind of focusing on, sure. on the boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, awesome. We'll have to let's see another just another reason to watch the movie. But the th- we need to see this in the theater, Steve. But and, and the worm was like thumping, like she, like the worm was trying to communicate with the kid. I don't know if it was well, okay, possibly, or maybe that it was just revealing some more of of the biological side of the worm because the thumping also, if you if you remember, one of the the uh, members of the clan right. had an artificial thumper right. that it activated in the distance, which caused the worm right. to have its attention go that way. And then right. Leave. This is the first time since the movie franchise started in 1962 that the, um, James Bond character die. What? what? No, this is not what, what am I looking at here? Forget. I said that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got my <laughs> bond trivia mixed up with yeah. the, uh, the, the previous bond villain stuff. It kind of, uh, yeah, and this is the first film where a Bond girl is from Cuba. <laughs> oh, wait, that was from the other show. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, 245. Uh, not this one. Uh, Anna de Almas, uh, not in this movie. We start talking about Bond villains and everything else. It's the first film where Daniel Craig's not in the movie <laughs> Dune. And, where was uh, Daniel Craig in Dune? <laughs> I want my money back. So, uh, final thoughts, and uh, I don't even know, like, should we do a rating since this is clearly, like, the first half, or should we not? Um, well, I, I guess we could. would say so. Yeah, I'll just continue where we're going, Russ, because it's going to be a couple years until the, the, the second half is going to be out. Kick it off, Steve. So, reiterating what I said, Russ. I mean, there, there's a... Uh, I avoided a thump there from the microphone. Appreciate that, Russ. <laughs> that was close. You're always looking out for me. That was really close. You know, ever since we're in second grade. Anyhow, um, so I, I enjoyed it. I, I think I I would have preferred to watch the movie um, maybe in a theater. I don't know. I, I love watching. I love streaming movies in my own house. Well, yeah, there, there are benefits to that. Anyway, um, but yes, definitely a movie you want to see on the big screen. Um, definitely a movie for hardcore sci-fi fans. Yeah. If, even if you, they do make the movie, if you never read the book, they still give you enough to understand the movie. But you just, they, like I said earlier, they leave a lot of the important details out, which I think we could have all benefited from. Maybe if there's a director's cut with mm-hmm. like 
30 more minutes maybe. Uh-huh. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff would be vital. Um, I thought the movie was well scripted. I thought the movie was well acted. I like to see all the technology. I love the way that the movie was filmed with, with the cinematography and how the shops were framed and like the depth of everything. Like they just, like there's definitely more to like uh, than not like. Uh, but my issues again were the pacing in the movie was pretty darn slow. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more action. Um, y- you know, one of the things you liked that I didn't really care for was the music. I thought the music sounded too much like Blade Runner, honestly. Like, it's like they took a lot of the music from Blade Runner, which was fine, uh, and then they added some really odd singing to it, which kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. I didn't think that was either A, it wasn't very original, or B, it was annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times when the music was absolutely fine to fill the 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 depth or the darkness or you know, whatnot, the whatever kind of you know, yeah. mood they were trying to, to tell with the scene. But there are times where like the people were like just yelling. Aah! I'm like, okay, what's happening? You know? And I'm like, nah, it's not, I'm not feeling the music too much. So that being said, oh, um, that hurt my ears. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, you like it <laughs> anyway. Um, that being said, I would say right now where things are, I would give it a 3.5. 3.5? Yes. All right. So this movie for me was, I, I honestly think it was a triumph from a sci-fi perspective. And, you know, when we think of different types of sci-fi movies, there are different aspects or qualities that we can appreciate from these different movies. This one, however, had a more tangible, accessible realism to its sci-fi that Mm. I liked quite a bit. And actually, it's kind of funny to say that because it's not like they got down to like the nuts and bolts and nitty gritty of all the different things that were sci-fi, but there were um, a lot to drink in that like from my mind, like my mind could just fill in those gaps and it just worked. I I never saw something where I'm like, well, that doesn't really seem like it would work or that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense or what have not. You know, I I think that even when they were combining the, the environments of the planets themselves with the architecture, with the costume design, everything worked really well. In fact, I don't know if you have seen this, but I ended up taking some stills from the movie. I, I placed them on social media. So if you go um, check us mm. out on Facebook or Instagram or even Twitter, Switch just look up. for Joygasm TV. Yeah. Um, I ended up putting together about five different stills where I, I collected the color palette data from each one of those stills and then created just, just a, a, a spectrum, a color spectrum along the bottom to better understand like what their colorists did on the show. So I, I mean, it speaks very highly towards the, the art direction, the cinematography, the overarching visuals with the costume design and whatnot. All of these get very high marks for me. I also think that the acting is really believable. Like you were saying very well done and you know, even the music itself, like the music is not like a Star Wars soundtrack where like I can listen to it many, 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 many times. But I do find it strangely appropriate for the world of Dune 
Like I, I think it is. It's it's not like I'm watching. I'm like, well, this this music doesn't match the visuals or match the, the needs world or more trumpets. More trumpets. <laughs> I do. You know, I found myself also being a little disappointed in terms of of not having the whole story together. And I think that that is actually the result of it being an entertaining experience is like, you know, if I was bored out of my mind and I couldn't, couldn't wait to get, have it be over with, that'd be one thing. But then by the time this movie gets to, it's like, it's little intermission ending. It's kind of like, Oh man, it ended there. Like I wanted to see more. So I think that that, that is a, a strong testament to the film at the same time though. I, I really didn't like how there was this kind of not knowing like what else to include in this film before it came to an abrupt end. Right. And I feel like for me, that was probably like, like the the only kind of real issue that I had, because there's a lot to like in this film, but I also wonder too, okay, so what all are they saving for part two? Is it just going to be one big battle or are we (laughs) going to have a lot of plots uh, twists and turns going on that we don't know about yet. You know, I, and I hope that there is. I hope there is more to learning about these different houses, the complex politics of what's going on. Do we ever get to meet the emperor? Well, what is um, all of those different components going to do in the second one as opposed to just, oh, here's part two and then we're going to have a big battle sequence. The battle sequence is the payoff. Like I'm gonna, I'm looking forward to seeing how it all comes right. together, and and that also makes me curious too in terms of how I will end up rating part two. You know what we should do is when part two comes out is give two different ratings. One is just for part two, and then the other one is kind of averaging the two parts together, hmm. and then saying, oh, okay, overall I give it this, but three point eight. Yeah, <laughs> I do think I'm. I'm willing to give this film four stars because they, there were, there were so many things that were done right with this. And it's not an easy thing to do because I personally find Dune to be rather scientifically or sci-fi abstract. Right. You know, there's, there are certain things about it where I'm just like, wow, like I can't really explain or have difficulty explaining into words like some of the vibe or feeling I get from the the movie overall, but I like what I'm seeing. I think there, there's a lot of intrigue and um, I would um, recommend you to go see it if you haven't seen it already. And I think that you and I should go see it in the theater. I, I think hmm. that'd be fun. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it continues to financially help us doing the show. Also, make sure you click on that subscribe button as well as that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm that drops once a week every week. And while you're at it, you can do a search on social media for at Joygasm TV. We're on just about all of them. And last but not least, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our video gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. Especially when it works. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) We look forward to hanging out with you all again next week.